thank you to Momentus for sponsoring this episode. Just as all of us at Art of Coaching discuss the critical nature of the words we choose and how you deliver them, none of you need me to tell you the importance of what you put in your body. Now, I could care less if you're a world-class athlete, more of the Uncle Rico archetype, or somebody who just sits at a desk all day in the corporate world. What you put in your body matters, and Momentus makes products that are no-nonsense, quality tested at the highest level, and they're for anyone who just wants to feel better without overthinking their nutritional support options. Skip the fads, master the basics, and go with Momentus by visiting livemomentus.com. Additionally, as an Art of Coaching listener, you can get 25% off your first purchase of anything at Momentus when you sign up for a subscription. You'll also get 15% off all subsequent orders. Just use code BRETT25 at checkout to receive that offer. Again, that's B-R-E-T-T-2-5 at checkout. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. favor and think of a time when you did your best to convince somebody of something. I mean, you really went all out. Got it? If you need a little help, perhaps you wanted them to be more active, like your family members, or maybe you wanted somebody you work with to take a second look at a proposal, or you wanted to help a friend through a particularly trying part of their life. Now, oftentimes we lead when we're trying to create change with facts, or we try to appeal to rationality. Yet, These approaches tend to be some of the absolute least effective strategies whenever we're trying to promote change or inculcate some kind of feeling of empowerment. Now, some of you might stop right there and say, well, okay, then what do we do? I mean, many of you as listeners are brought up in research-based backgrounds or your managers and leaders. You need to have the facts. Others listening may feel like they don't have great persuasive abilities, so they're starting to tune out. But we know that this isn't true, so just hang with me. Now, how do I know this is true? Because one of the most powerful persuasive abilities is something we as human beings already inherently possess. And that ability is storytelling. Now, maybe it's the new dad in me because I'm reading my son a lot of nighttime books, as is my wife. But from childhood, we are nurtured on a steady diet of once upon a time. Stories. And as adults, that inner child in us responds reflexively and positively to all kinds of case studies about actual people and events. Now, one reason for the success of storytelling and its use as a tactic is that the vividness and the psychological closeness of a single case study is often more relevant to an individual than scientific data. While as mentioned earlier, statistics of course can heighten the power of evidence, but they often come across as cold and detached. And not to mention they risk losing somebody in the details or maybe even alienating them. Regardless of whether you consider yourself to be a skilled storyteller or not, today's guest has more than enough tactical strategies to impart you with so that by the end of this episode, you will have a far greater understanding of how to discover, shape, and tell stories with a combination of candor and conviviality and being able to get your message across more clearly and effectively in doing so. Her name is Kendra Hall, and she is a professional storyteller who teaches leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs across countless industries to harness and leverage the power of their stories. And her book, Stories That Stick, debuted at number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and Forbes even said it may be the most valuable business book, and I'll add coaching in there, you ever read. 
Now, in 2020, she became the chief storytelling officer of Success Magazine, where she interviews icons like Deepak Chopra and Misty Copeland in an effort to hear and share their stories of success. She's based in New York City with her husband and two children. And guys, I just want you to sit back, relax, and make sure you grab your free podcast reflection sheet from our website and enjoy this conversation with Kendra Hall. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I am here with Kendra Hall. Kendra, thanks for joining me. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. Yeah, as a podcast that's dedicated to communication, you know, it only made sense when we look at guests to look at somebody that is really the authority on one of the most impactful forms of communication there is, storytelling. I'd love to know a little bit how storytelling became your forte. And we're going to go into your book and all these other aspects, but how did you fall into this love of storytelling? You know, it's funny. I'm one of those people who um, first did the thing that I am now doing at a very young age. I told my first story when I was 11. It was an assignment for fifth grade. um, And we were supposed to take a, it was kind of like the first first lesson in public speaking, but it was at the very end of the school year. Um, so we were just ready to be done with school and we were supposed to choose a children's book and then go read it to a third grade class. I practiced reading it and inflection in your voice. And um, I went into the third, we paired up. So I went in with one girl um, to the third grade classroom and she read the book. I don't know if you'll remember it. It's the one I, I'll like you forever. I'll love you for always. As long as I'm living my baby, you'll be. Right. So it was it was a new book back then. So now I'm dating myself and and a really emotional book for parents. But we were both fifth graders. She was reading it to third graders. And all they really thought was it was extremely boring. So by the end of her time reading that book, they were like bouncing off the walls. I knew I had to do something. So I decided to just put the book down that I was supposed to read and instead just go all in and tell the story. And it it only took like two or three sentences in this room that was pure chaos. They were all right there sitting on the floor, all eyes on me. And I was holding them like in the palm of my hand. And at 11 years old, even then I knew that maybe I was onto something. And so I went through, you know, but of course I didn't drop out of elementary school. Oh no, you didn't. No, no, I wish now looking back, I'm like, oh, I really should have. And really, it went on to become in some ways, um, like a party trick, I would pull it out and do, you know, like, just for fun. I was on the speech team in high school, storytelling worked really well there. But at some point, I really thought that while while I remained interested, and my interest in storytelling matured as I did, like if, if a fairy tale worked in front of a room full of third graders, would a different type of story work in an organization as I was studying org comm in college? And what, you know, so my questions started to grow around storytelling, but at the same time, I didn't really see how you could turn that into a job. As far as I knew, if you wanted to be a storyteller, you were like going into libraries and reading books to kids so it was kind of a long winding journey but but eventually you know I ended up here well first of all thanks for that recap and I do remember that book it's it's odd that you would or it's serendipitous rather that you would bring that up because today is my mother's 70th birthday and that is the one book that would make her cry so often that I remember when I was a little kid I would want her to read it and after a while, she was like, I'm not reading that book, you know, that, and now I'm a parent of an 18 month old and I totally understand that at a different level. I'm not ready to read that to him, but you know, you speak to an important point of when you have to follow up and this goes, whether it's in uh, grade school or whether it's in uh, a keynote presentation, which I knew you do all over the world. There are times where that energy in the room is very different and people are not always prepared for a certain message. You know, how do you overcome that skepticism or that drop in energy when you do have to follow? I mean, you mentioned it well here 
one, it helps to know, to know your story, and two, it helps to know your audience. But what are some other things you've learned through the tremendous amount of storytelling you've done that helps kind of bridge that gap, whether you're following somebody or maybe even giving a speech during really tough times where you know people are more attuned to cliche, pardon my language, but bullshit, and you want your stuff yeah. to stand out without selling out? Yeah, I think that, well, a couple of things. Number one, and this is going to sound like a, a gimme answer from the storyteller, but but be ready with a story always no matter no matter what the presentation is what it's for if it's if it's just for the opening of like if you're following somebody in a meeting or you're you're giving an address during a difficult time in a in a company the number one thing that will help shift the energy with with less effort than um just coming at it with brute force is is a story because as you are telling that story, you gain control of the energy of the room because the people who are listening to it will come with you. Now that is assuming that you've done work on your stories and that you, you know, this isn't something you can, I would not recommend um, off the cuff, especially sure. in really high stakes situations. So that's why it's important that you're listening to this now that this is something you can be prepared with, but number one, always have stories ready. And then number two, I think that, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where the energy was really high and then I had to come in and, and mine was, was more tactical, yeah. you know? So, so there's that conflict. I've come in where the energy was really low after, you know, like a really boring presentation from somebody. I love those situations because I'm an automatic in for raising the energy back up. That's definitely, that's my sweet spot. I've, I've been, <laughs> I had it happen once. I was, I was, I was a big fan of America's Got Talent. And um, there was, this was several years ago, and there was the kid named Cody who could play the piano and, and sing and was just this incredible musician. Um, he had autism. I think he was blind, like just this incredible. And I would watch him on America's Got Talent and just be blown away. And I remember saying out loud to my family because we would watch it together, man, I feel bad for whoever has to follow that guy. Yeah. And then what do you know, a couple months later, he is the opener for the big conference and he does his whole thing. And then I had to follow that guy, uh. right? So even right there, there was, but how did I bridge that gap? I had a little, I was proud of myself. I told that exact story. I'm like, man, I remember watching him and saying to my family, how do you, I hate to follow that guy. And then I just like paused. <laughs> they all laughed. And then we moved into my part. And I think the third thing that I would, mention here well it, I think I'm still on number two but the point being to be really confident in yourself and the message that you are now bringing and and that the message that you're going to communicate is imp is also important to the people in the room who are there to listen to it the one time I remember where I messed it up was there was a keynote speaker who went before me who just blew the roof off. Like there were like people were, I mean, it was insane. Screaming, she was so incredible. There was a short break and then it was my turn. And I just couldn't get out of my own head. I, I lost track of why, what message I was there to communicate. I lost track of, and it took me a while to, to gain my footing. Um, but to have faith in the stories you're going to share and the reason you're there to communicate in the first place. Yeah, well, you you touch on some good points there and you mention it in your book, Stories That Stick, where, you know, always choose stories, not people. So even when you were intimidated by that that situation or when you did have to that tough act to follow, you know, the fact that you knew your story, you knew it well, and you know how to link it to tactical takeaways so that the audience can do something with it is always going to be a differentiator, right? I think one thing that we talk about with, with our organization is that's great that there's some speakers that really want to inspire and energize. And that, that can be a byproduct of what you do. But let's say there's some speakers that that's the main thing they focus on. And then there's some that almost kind of like scare people into behavior change. And I always used to say, well, that's great. But somewhere between being really inspired and really like, freaked out and extreme accountability, I still need to have something tactical, right? I still need yeah. to know what to do with my business and with my life. And so 
I always appreciated that about your work is you don't just talk about uh, how important story is. There's a thousand books that do that, but you get detailed and you say, hey, this is how you craft it. There are certain components. It's not just about the inciting incident. It's about, hey, what was the normal before? And then what explosion happened? Would you mind kind of giving a, a, a detail? And, and our listeners are realistic. They don't expect you to summarize your tremendous book in detail. But if you wouldn't mind just giving an above the fold headline of those critical components that a great story should have, I know they'd love it. Yeah. And, and I do think that that was, that was the whole reason behind, you know, when you go from telling your first story at 11, there was a big, there was a long journey between then releasing the book when I was 38. I don't really want to say it all out, but whatever. (laughs) But, but what I did learn through those several decades was this thing that had come really naturally to me. And maybe it was because I'd been practicing it uh, and studying it um, was still completely lost on people. And, and I would read the other, you know, the many other books about storytelling before I was thinking about writing my own. And I would be so frustrated because like you said, it would be a lot of stories are so important, but not very much of, okay, so now what do I do? Like, how do I do this? So, in stories that stick, I outline, um, as you said, a framework and then perhaps even more importantly, four key components that really are the things that if they are included, will make your story more memorable, will make it more compelling, will make it more influential and, and I believe relatable. And so the first one is that a story needs to have an identifiable character, specifically in business where I see companies going wrong is they say, we hear it, Arctic ice, believe that frozen things are the best and should never melt or whatever it is. Yeah. But but we're but like who's Arctic Ice? Like we don't think about there are very few brands that have escalated all the way such that we feel like they're a member of our family. Yeah. Now, maybe that is an ultimate goal of yours, but that is definitely not where you should start. So the stories need to have a character, a person, someone that the listener, the audience can relate to and and understand and see themselves in or see themselves as different and learn something from that difference. So that's the first component. Do you want me just to go through all of them? Yeah, if you don't mind, and we can talk about them or anything like that. So, but yeah, I'd love just to give them, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, kind of the overview. So the second, and there are no, no particular order, but the second component is authentic emotion. And again, where stories go, wrong is there's a tendency to, in business, right, we want to take out the emotion. Now, we've been pretending to add it back in by saying that we need to be vulnerable and we need to be authentic and we, right, but just saying you need to do those things doesn't mean that you're doing those things. That's something completely different. But one way that you can make sure that you are being authentic, and really, I think what, what that whole cry is about is to just be a human. Don't separate your humanness from your title on your business card. Like that is not an editable thing. Like you need to have them both in there together. So authentic emotion in stories is instead of saying, you know, we did this and we did this and and here's how things happened. Like maybe you're talking about a particular technological installation. That's what your business does. Well, I don't know about you, but especially when Mercury's in retrograde, like technical installations (laughs) or a very emotional experience. And if you think about the people involved in this, what's at stake for them? What happens if we get behind schedule? What happens if we lose all of the data? Like like all of those what happens are very real emotions that are easily included. So that's the second component. The third component is to have a moment, like a specific moment in time. And this is the hardest one to explain, but I believe it's the most important. It's the easiest one to change, to turn your message from just typical communication or marketing copy or blah, 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 the corporate speak into something more powerful. And that is, you know, as you're thinking about the thing that happened, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the founding of a company or whatever it is, to zoom all the way in on one moment of that journey, you know, like even, even without even really meaning to, because it's something that happens naturally for me now, but I brought you into that classroom with the girl that was reading that other book and the kids that were bouncing around. 
So by zooming it all the way into a particular moment, you're engaging your audience in what I call the co-creative process. So they start picturing, it, it blurs the line between this is my story or that's your story and I'm just listening to it or that's your message and I'm just listening to it. And it allows people to enter in and, and participate in it. And then the fourth component um, is specific details, which you can kind of see throughout all of these, but this is where getting really specific about the thing, the little details that you include can A, again, encourage that co-creative process, but B, if your communication, if you're trying to achieve a specific goal with your communication and, and maybe the audience is skeptical or maybe there's, there, there are different walls that you have to break through, these small details can, can show that you're alike. It can show that you understand them because you share those, even sharing the title of the book that the other girl read I assume that, you know, we're kind of maybe in the same, in the same age range yep. as a book you probably heard of, right? So that right there, I could have said, oh, the woman before me read a book and everybody got, was bored. I spent the extra time to name the book because my audience, I figured, would know about it. And it just so happens that that detail inspired an entire different story of your own, which is exactly what you want to do. Yep, absolutely. And and I think the thing that I want to draw attention to is you having that framework of, of laying those things out an identifiable character, authentic emotions, a moment in time and specific details that helps anybody listening really reconstruct their own story. And I think here's an interesting thing that I've found is most people really think that they don't have a story, you know, and when, when I wrote my book, I talked about how I was hospitalized for a year of my life. And it was an odd story for some, or it caught them off guard because I'm, I'm a male, obviously. And I had an eating disorder at 15. My friends who, you know, I grew up playing sports and sports were my life. And all of a sudden, a lot of these kids turned into meth and cocaine. I mean, crazy stuff that I had no concept of as a teenager. At the same time, my parents are getting a divorce. And so I turn inward and I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to train obsessively for sport. I have nobody to hang out with anymore. I had all this anxiety. I didn't know what to do. And it took me 16 years to write about my hospitalization in a book because I'm in this very alpha kind of uh, field or, you know, it's a field that I started off on that people don't usually just come out and say, hey, I was hospitalized and I went from 156 pounds to 93 pounds. And now I train all these athletes, you know, in, in, in the field that I started out in you just shut your mouth and you're supposed to be seen, not heard, and you're supposed to stay in the trenches. But then that book came out and all of a sudden people started hitting me up and saying, hey, oh my God, I have a similar story and I have this story. And I'm like, well, then why aren't you telling it? And so these are why I always ask, tell people now, listen, if you are having trouble verbalizing your story, pick up Kendra's book, Stories That Stick, because you're not just saying the world needs to hear it. You're the best. Think of all the people you could inspire. You're saying, uh-uh-uh. Detail, 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 detail. Here's how you craft it. Am, am I right with that? I mean, was that the end goal to really give somebody that toolkit to be able to do that? I, I mean, I uh, there's so much to to unpack there. I think, yeah, the end goal was really to say to 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 like open people's eyes. These stories are there, and whether they are as as intense and as I mean, that's a big story, your, your, your story. And I'm interested. I, I watched the video of you telling that story. I'm interested to hear, you mentioned it a little bit, but how people did respond to that story, because that is, that is the ultimate, like, bravo for your willingness to be vulnerable and, you know, in like counterculture in so many ways. So I want to talk about that. But but the other thing that I think is important here is yes, the end goal was to, was to say like, yes, you have a story and B, the reason you maybe haven't told it is because you don't know how to access it. You don't know how to put it together. You don't know where to tell it or that you should tell it. So let me give you all of the tools to do that. But the other important thing that, that is worth mentioning here is that I, like, I've never, I've never been, I'm trying to think over my life, you know, how we can sometimes forget our own. Sure. Oh, hundred percent. I haven't been, I haven't been hospitalized. Like I did not go from 150 pounds to 90 pounds, right? Like any of my stories, there isn't, 
it, they aren't as big as yours, as your story. And that can be intimidating for people, for people to think that, well, I don't have a story because none of my stories are big enough. But the reality is, this isn't, this isn't, storytelling isn't only accessible to those big stories. It isn't a mag, it isn't the magnitude of a story that makes it a viable tool for communication. Like even really small stories can cross huge, can build huge bridges between people. I think in stories that stick, I share the story of a woman who is a financial advisor and her story that she found that she shares is when she, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but it was like that she's loved money ever since she was a little kid, asked for it as like for birthdays and, and holidays, not because she wanted to spend it, but because she wanted to play with it and, and stack it and count it. That's an admirable, that is a quality I want from my financial Absolutely. advisor. But it was a really, and, and it was this really cute story of this interaction with her mother. She could tell that story, very small story. And I mean, just book clients day after day after day, because it, that story expresses the essence of who she is. Yeah. And that's really what, that's really what we want to know. Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, what, what you said there is, you know, my story might be big relative to something else, but that doesn't make it relatable. You know, there are some people that might feel really, uh, identify with it, or at least some of the authentic emotions expressed in it. And some might feel like I have no context there. I remember specifically when we were, uh, putting it out to publishers and we had talked to a literary agent, a good buddy of mine had put me in touch with, and he said, listen, you know, I, I think that story is going to be too much for some people. And I remember hearing that and I was like, it almost, it almost kind of killed the desire to put the book out because this was my first experience writing a book, right? This came out in 2017, took three years to write. And I just remember him saying like, wait a minute, nobody wants to hear about this story, a, a male being hospitalized and what have you. And I said, well, then what stories do they want to hear about? And, he th and, and I just remember kind of feeling deflated. And I said, screw that. We're going to self-publish this, you know? And then think of all the people that, like, to your point, on the other end, like you said, they think they have something small, but the world is filled with people that have these daily store, you know? Like, there's this, exactly. it, it's, it's, every day we live is a three-act structure. Every yeah. day has some kind of conflict and rising tension and what have you. And, and who better to tell your own story than you, because there's 8 billion people in the world, and I promise somebody's had that experience or something like that before, right? Exactly. And that's where, that's where, the, the, that's where the true gift is. Because even then, Brett, as you were saying, I told this story, and then people, it, it, it's by telling your own story, you're giving permission to people to A, share theirs. Yep. And, and I really believe this is, this is where I get, you know, this is the, the high aspiration, but I really believe there would, the world would be such a better place if, if we were, if we knew each other's stories. Um, and, and what happens is there, it, it sounds like it feels like what I'm saying is we need to listen to each other's stories which is fine, but I think a better way to come about it is by being generous with sharing our own. Instead of being like, you know, I'm going to listen, like be the example of, of what happens when we share our stories, that, that somebody can understand you a little bit better. And more importantly, they understand their own life a little bit better. Hey, I want to tell you something quick before we get back to Kendra. Whether we are talking about our favorite stories that stand out to us or how we can get our work to stand out to others, one thing is true. Differentiation isn't about being different. It's about being uniquely relevant. Now, I'm telling you this because chances are one of you listening right now has felt burnt out, stuck, overwhelmed, or in need of guidance with respect to how you can take an idea you've had or multiple ideas that has been burning inside of you and figure out where to start, how to amplify it, where, what, how you should do all the things you need to do with it so you can actually make an impact. Now, frankly, I don't care if you call it imposter phenomenon or you're time poor or anything else. What I do care is that you do something about it by joining us for a live training on getting clarity around your idea, getting out of your own way, and making something happen that helps others. 
You can do this by going to artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. Again, artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. That's C-L-A-R-I-T-Y. This is a free training led by me and it's available to everyone regardless of where you live in the world. Spots are limited, so go to artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity now and register for more details. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. All right, now back to Kendra. We need to listen to each other's stories, which is fine, but I think a better way to come about it is by being generous with sharing our own. Instead of being like, you know, I'm going to listen, like be the example of, of what happens when we share our stories, that, that somebody can understand you a little bit better. And more importantly, they understand their own life a little bit better. Yep. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question that has to do with that. I understand there's not one right answer, right? I'm mainly just looking towards your raw thoughts. With that, this, this balance of self-disclosure, right? Many leaders and, and coaches, and I use the term synonymously, that I talk to say, hey, I really find, I, I struggle finding the balance between how much to disclose, right? Because inherently, a lot of these people are in positions where they still need to have, uh, you know, they might be the superior of an individual. I know we don't like that language in today's society, yeah, yeah. but hierarchically, it is what it is. And they say, yeah, I, I want to let them in, but how much is too much? And I can relate to that because I've sat at conferences where sometimes it feels like the person's almost kind of used their platform as a little bit of therapy. And you're like, whoa, buddy, <laughs> whoa, this is getting like time's almost up and you're still kind of here. And how do you think about that boundary or that, that balance and that dance of telling enough, but not telling too much. And I know yeah. it's contextual. No, no, there, this is, this is a really important thing to discuss. Um, and there's several different layers here. Number one, I know exactly what you're saying. So I want to start with almost like a, almost like a performance conversation yeah. in that where you're saying like that person is, is telling their story and it's more like a therapy session. And that is, that is a big problem with storytelling that's where it can get a bad rap because the people who are watching it are like wait this feels kind of gross for some reason yeah. now of course there are going to be some people in the audience who love that and they want to hear but like it's you know i so so i and you said i've never heard anybody say it as anybody else say it this way but a really important thing to keep in mind when you are sharing emotional stories is to make sure that you're really clear about ooh, who it's for. If it's for you so that you can feel those feelings. And one way to know that maybe your, maybe your reasoning is a little off kilter is if when you're telling it, you start to cry because this isn't a story for, for you to get emotional. You've already done the emotions right now. If your audience is crying, that's something else. Um, and again, that doesn't necessarily need to be the ultimate goal, but it's definitely a red flag. If you're telling the story and you're making yourself cry, it either means A, the story's not ready yet, or um, or B, you're, you may be doing it for the wrong reasons, which I, I'm sorry, that sounds like rude to say, but that's the truth of it. And then the other thing when it comes to, you know, how personal do I get if I'm a leader, if I'm a coach? Um, and that's an individual, that's an individual question. Each different person is going to have their own, their own feelings for that. What I would encourage you to do is share stories that do illustrate your personhood. But we are, I'm, I'm a mis, mismatch of a million different things, right? Like, like I can share my personhood by telling you stories about, my husband and my family. I can tell you about my personhood by telling you stories about my struggles in my business. I might choose not to tell stories that are challenges with like personal relationships or you know what I mean? That That is a personal choice. What I would recommend is you know, just like you would go, just like in anything, you have your your circle, your tight circle of people whose opinions you respect um, and who aren't necessarily just going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, mention the story to them, kind of talk through the story with them. They Maybe they're colleagues that are on your same level, maybe they're family, maybe they're friends, and know that some of them are going to say, 
I think that's too far because they're speaking from their own comfort level. Some of them are going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. Go for it. You know their personalities. You know which ones was going to say. And then from from that place, decide which stories you you share. You should always, ever, if leaders would just share more of their personal stories, again, the leadership would be so much more effective because people want to follow someone they know, like, and trust. On the other side of it, the leader gets to choose which stories they tell. Yeah, no, you touch on a lot of good points there. And I, what I, what I like specifically about that is we know that leadership is really messy in the real world and it's a full contact sport. And sometimes to your point, and you mentioned is, is the story you're telling for you. And on page 42, you had said, we don't need a hero. We need a relatable character. And if you're always trying to make yourself the hero of your own story and you're focusing on you, 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 as, as opposed to, Hey, okay, but now what? It doesn't help anybody navigate the messy realities of leadership. Now we've just heard about you. And what are you? Some kind of martyr, right? And then, like you said, that's where storytelling gets looped into really unethical salesmanship because that person wasn't clear about the message and the intended outcome. The call to action should be X, right? Like the call to action when I tell my story is not to make anybody else's story feel small. And and it shouldn't be. I mean, I've worked with athletes that one of them saw their parent killed in front of them. My story is not comparable to theirs, nor should it be, nor does it have yeah, to be. Stop comparing our stories. Like yeah. there's, let's not compare them. No. There's, yeah. And and people do it. And and so what I want people to understand about what you're saying is there's so many tie-ins. I didn't even figure out that my story came full circle circle for me when I started to say, okay, we're going to start crossing over now. I've, I've loved my time working with athletes, but at the core of it, I got into coaching because in the hospital, a lot of what I went through was due to poor communication. They didn't really get to know us as patients. So we had very standardized one size fits all care. And I'm like, well, we see that play out in communication across the globe. And so, yeah, I'm going to start a company that focuses on that and helps people understand how to deal with power dynamics because that's something else I dealt with. So I, I, I hope people hear what you're saying in that focus on your story, focus on a framework, know who it's for, and make sure that there's a call to action so that it's not just you kind of blubbering up there <laughs> about something that you want to hear yourself say. Am I, am I missing much there? Well, that's it. Like what is at the end of any story, what do you want your audience, whether it's a room full of people or whether it's a one-on-one, what do you want them to think, feel, know, or do as a result? Yep. And, and in some cases, that's just, you just want them to look at their life a little bit differently. Like maybe maybe it's just a feel good message and they can, or give them a moment of nostalgia. Maybe that's the goal. Maybe the goal is, hey, you need to get up and change something in your life. And this is the story of the time I, I did it the wrong way and what I learned and what you can learn so you don't have to do it. You yep. can learn through my example. Okay, so I'm gonna fumble. You, you said look at your life a little bit. Now I may fumble around this question, so be patient with me. There's stories we tell other people. Then there's the narrative we have in our own life, right? Uh, our own internal self-talk. I, I know, and I'm going out on a limb here. I promise for anybody listening, th- this was not in research, anything like that. And Kendra, I respect your privacy. So if you don't wanna talk about it, you don't have to. Um, but I, I, I feel like I know for a fact that anybody that's as good as communicating and storytelling and stuff as you are, they're very self-aware. They've maybe had some dark recesses of their own mind that they've had to deal with, some moments where they've really had to figure their shit out. Mm-hmm. Is, is there something like that for you? And how do you feel about how that formed this personal narrative that then allowed you to go do what you're doing? Oh, well, either you are a good mind, like you you do some serious sleuthing, Brett, or you are a, a fortune teller, because that is actually the entire content of my next book. It's what it's all about. It is the self stories. Um, so I think by the time this releases, it'll be available for pre-order. It comes out in January 2022. And again, we did not talk about this in advance. So I'm what I'm going to ask you offline, like, sure, how did you find that out. Um, but yeah, that that the you can tell all the stories you want to tell in business in your, you know, in coaching in leadership and anything. But if we aren't carefully um, 
paying attention to and and working with the stories we tell ourselves, we're always going to be bumping up uh, against internal barriers. We're not going to be able to achieve um, success on a on all the different levels and all the different you know in the 360 spherical way um, until we we work on the stories we tell ourselves. And oftentimes it is those internal narratives that that lead us astray, that keep us stuck, that hold us back. And so, I mean, I've seen this um, in all areas of my life. And and now having been, it's, it's, again, it's something that I've done my entire life. You, you can't go and sit at the feet of these incredible storytellers and, and not see the stories, stories in a holistic way. But it's only been recently that I've started like articulating much like the components of what makes a great story, like breaking down the process of, of finding, identifying the stories we tell ourselves and, and really dissecting them, wondering where did that come from? And is this a story that serves me or do I need to swap it out with a better one? Um, not to say that we can erase the mistakes that we've made or the things that we've, that have happened to us, whether, whether we were a part in it or whether it just came out of nowhere, but we can, we can, I don't want to say control, but it's control. And we can have agency then of over what we do, what we do with those realities and the stories we tell ourselves about them. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the word agency with that. It's in, it's important. I think that most people don't understand Well, they inherently understand it. I don't know if that means that they actually utilize it, right? You're always going to fail and get criticized and what have you might as well fail forward. And the, you know, nothing worthwhile is, is without risk. And it's something we're told our entire life, but it's funny just because we're told it by other people doesn't mean that we believe it ourselves. And, and, and I think that, uh, I know that I deal with this too. I mean, I'm, I'm also working on a second book and I remember my editor, they, they put something in the Google doc and they're like, I need you to fill this piece in with a better story of a time when you did blank and it helps somebody with blank. And I'm sitting there and I don't, I wonder if this has ever happened with you. The narrative I tell myself in that moment is, oh shit. So yeah. much of this next book success resides on the fact of whether I, I can even remember some of this. Cause you know, like uh, when you, when you speak a good bit and you travel a good bit and you have correspondence with folks, th- there's tons of ammo there, but you might not think of it in the moment. And then I kind of freak out and I'm like, Oh my God, I know I have a story that should go here, but I can't, I can't think of the one this book's going to fail. And the next thing you know, writer's block procrastination, four weeks goes by my editor's like, how about that story? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, do you ever deal with anything as banal yeah. and basic like that? Yeah, I mean, it, there's it's it's the story it's the story you tell yourself about like I, I mean I I'm trying to I'm trying to even think what what story to tell you right here right now but but it is it is crazy well, the the way that our the stories that our brain chooses to tell us in those moments so so a story I tell myself often is that I don't have enough time. I'm not going to have enough time. I'm going to miss the deadline. And there are, there are stories from my entire history growing up of, of, of fear of time and the ways that I tried to manipulate that and manage that. And, and so it's, they've, they've all conglomerated into this huge thing so that anytime I'm coming up against a deadline or there's a big creative project and I can't seem to, call in the stories or the content I need, I get really frozen in place because of those stories. Like I'm, I'm out of time. And then it goes into, well, you always do this. You never have. And, and now being extremely disciplined in sitting down and telling myself all of the stories, like, like in the morning, like having the stories written out with characters, emotion, um, all the components that they're supposed to have of times when I crushed something and it had nothing to, like, the time had nothing to do with it, right? Or my, like this last book that I wrote, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I've been thinking about it. I couldn't, I was like, couldn't get words on paper. I couldn't get words on paper. I gave myself um, six weeks before it was due to the public. (laughs) 
And, but I just knew, but it was all this, like I was doing my research. I was, and, and, and anytime I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Which happened a lot. I would be panicking. I would just remember, no, you, you've completed projects. Like this is actually how you work really well because you eliminate the distract. I had to have very specific stories that I told myself so that I could get over the stories that I was going to fail so that I could create the book. And I sent it in in advance. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I remember because I follow you. I remember there were some mornings where you posted, you were up at like 5 a.m. You're trying to get up before Space Dog, which we need to talk about Space Dog, um, and, and your family and what have you. Is that what that process is like for you? Are you an early morning writer? You get your coffee, you 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 start laying that out. Is it is it on paper? Do you do it on Google Docs? What is that process like for you, if you don't mind kind of going the into that a little bit? Process, yeah, the writing is, process. It is an absolute mess. Like I, I get up early, but I just, I'm going to switch this around. I was getting Please. up early to read and journal, but then I, I'm like, cause this is my time. I shouldn't be working. This is my time. And now I'm, and then finally I was like, what story is so right there? Because all the gurus will tell you that you should meditate and journal and read. And, lose my mind. and I was like, wait a minute. And then I told myself the story of when I, uh, I interviewed Ryan Serhant, who's the huge million dollar listing or billion dollar, like a big real estate guy here in New York city. He gets up super early. I'm like, so what do you do in the morning? He's like, I answer my emails. And I'm like, Oh, you're not supposed to answer no. your emails. That's not what you, and then I started thinking about, it. I'm like, but he, it's working for him. Like, why am I telling myself what I should be, do, the stories of what I should be doing with this time? So I've just now, actually today was the first day that I'm going to do some of my work and some of my writing. But no, my process for writing a book is really, really messy. Um, it's a lot of outlining. And I think this is true for stories too, or anytime you're putting together a presentation, a presentation is only as good as it's outlined. Uh, and if you don't have a really solid, so, so I outline it and then like the whole book, like part one, part two, part three, then I break down the chapters and then I get into each chapter and then that's when the stories, so it was outlined, 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 and then come that six week mark, that's when I started writing it. Yeah, that's helpful to visualize. I think um, one thing that I struggled with is, it, you know, being that this year, or the past year with COVID, not being able to be around people, right? You're clearly somebody that enjoys conversation and being around people and you draw energy from that. Uh, I found that that stymied my process a little bit, you know, because there's sometimes where I might forget about something or forget about a story. And then I have a conversation with somebody and I'm okay. Now it's back in my head. And so I found that, uh, to your point, yeah, I had to go counter to a lot of the advice that I had been getting. I mean, even if it was checking social media in the morning, because I might get a DM, which was a question from somebody. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now that now that clarified the outline a little bit. So if I can't interact in some way, shape, or form with, with my audience or, or folks that support it, I find that it kind of uh, stymies that progress a little bit too. I mean, did you feel like any of that isolation had that effect on you at all? Yeah, I, there was, there was, I, I think that's the reason it took me so long to get started mm. is because I just felt like, and then, um, the, what helped me was part, part of the book was actually taking a group of people through this self-storytelling process. Um, and so we would have a weekly group zoom and then a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one calls. So I was with, I spent a lot of time with them and that was really helpful. If I hadn't done, I needed that for the research and the data for the book. But if I hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have. I, but I think the other thing, the other thing that I've gotten a lot better at is um, just openness and and to tread like I'm a, I'm a big believer in the universe and and staying in alignment there and when I'm really open and not like trying trying to force it that's when like you said like that's when the DMs come that's when I went on a walk I had to do a rewrite of chapter eight I knew I was going to I kind of phoned that one and we were going on vacation right before the book was due and I was like I'm done I'm sending this chapter yeah yeah that, that didn't work. I had to rewrite the chapter, which is fine. Um, and then, but then of course I was out of writing shape because when I was writing the book, you can imagine I was writing like 2000 to 5,000 words a day because I didn't have a lot of time to write. And so by the time it came back for me to rewrite this chapter, I was out of shape. Athletes know, you know, like you take some time off. It takes yeah. some time to 
back into shape. But I was on a walk with a friend and we, you know, we were just talking and she said something and all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's it. That's the opening for the chapter. And, um, but I, I had kind of surrendered and come to this very open place and was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, the, the chapter will come to me. I just have to be really open to finding it. And it came together. We'll see what you think when you read chapter eight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, um, you know, something else along the lines of, of the storytelling side of things. And, you know, I was interested to find out, like, we, we actually share a good bit in common. You're a Midwesterner. You're from Minnesota, if I remember correct. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You're from Minnesota. Uh, my, my wife and I are from Nebraska. And I have family in Minnesota. We lived in Phoenix for uh, a while. I think you live, how long did you live in Phoenix? I was in Phoenix for like 15 years, about there. Wow. And then moving to New York, that's quite the change. Um, but going going into this, right, with with being a Midwesterner, there's something that, that kind of coincides with storytelling as well. I remember when we lived in California for a year, we lived in Los Angeles, people would always be like, what do you do when you go back for the holidays? You know, assuming that Midwesterners just stay secluded and eat, you know, cheese curds and do whatever. And I go, well, like, listen, you get really good at conversing with people. There's lakes. You go ice skating. Yeah. You do, yeah, there's all these different things. Um, and you tell stories, you know, that said you tell stories for a living. Uh, do you ever feel, and I know you have this huge arsenal of stories and you're very, uh, observant. So you probably can't walk into a room without it triggering something, but have you ever felt like, uh, or felt concerned that you've told a story too many times or, Hey, my audience is going to get tired of this. Maybe even the story of, let's say I want to book you as a speaker, Kendra, you know, do you, do you ever feel like you, you doubt your own story or you've told it too many times or you feel like it doesn't stand out enough. I, I guess what I'm hinting at is some of our listeners will have imposter syndrome or ph- phenomenon and they're going to feel like, ah, people are going to get tired of it and it's not going to stand out. And again, this goes back to self stories and, and narrative, but any thoughts on that? And do you ever deal with that? You know, I, so in my storytelling upbringing, I spent a lot of time going to storytelling festivals, uh, which are a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, I know it's a thing. They happen all over the country. There's a really big one in Jonesboro, Tennessee, every October, um, where people come like storytellers come are hired to come and tell stories. That's really where I learned about storytelling and my favorite storyteller, my storytelling mentor, his name is Donald Davis. Um, I remember going to see him tell his stories and I would be so excited when he would tell a story I hadn't heard before. And I would be even more excited when he told a story I knew because the thing is like with anything, when he would tell a story again, a, he's a different person than when I heard him tell it. Uh, even even though, you know, he, from the time I've known him, he was like 65 and plus. So you don't change as much, maybe. Maybe you do. Actually, I think you probably do. So he had changed. Um, I had changed from hearing the story the first time, the second time, the third time. And even if I hadn't, it is really, especially if you're there with somebody else and they're going to hear this story that you love for the first time, that's really exciting too. So I feel like I was raised in a completely different environment when it comes to that perspective on messages. So that being said, yeah, when I, I have like three different openers, opening stories to my keynotes, three probably two is more likely. I have one that I throw in there every once in a while. And, and I'm, you know, at the height of when I was speaking, I was speaking 65 to 75 times a year. Um, every time I told that story, it was for a new audience, you know, like if it, so, so if it's for a new audience, they're hearing it for the first time. Like there is nothing to be worried about. There's a reason you chose to tell it this 60 times before that. There's no reason that you shouldn't tell it this time. And even if there are repeat people in the audience, remember how I felt when I heard my mentor, Donald Davis, tell the story. The other thing to keep in mind is if we're talking in like, um, a company, like in a company, and you have a few stories that you tell, you don't want to be like old Uncle Bob who, who forgets that he told you that story before, right? Like he thinks he's telling it to you for the first time. So that's where the self-awareness comes in to be like, 
but I know I was working with an organization and um, they had this, you know, intake of new employees. And every time the CEO would go in and deliver a message and every time he would try to change it up and he would try to, and finally, you know, I've been working with the team. They, he agreed like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to tell the same story every week. And the difference in, you know, like him being able to go in, there was a few people maybe in the back of the room or a few people that had heard it before. But again, it goes back to the audience. Who is this message for? Yeah. This message isn't for you. This, how do you think the, the actors on Broadway feel? Their job is to literally go in, sing the exact same notes, say the exact same words on the exact same spot on stage. They're not sitting there like, oh gosh, people are going to be bored. They know they've got a thousand people in the room who have been waiting to see them do that exact thing. So. Excellent. No, that's an excellent example. And this will be the final question because I know you got to get going to your next, your next appointment. Um, you're selling, and, and maybe that's the wrong term, um, you're encouraging people to learn and invest in a skill that's non-tangible. Meaning, right? Like we know if somebody's good at stand-up paddleboarding, we can see that. Somebody's great at skiing, we can see that. Uh, if somebody wanted to get better at, you know, running or what have you, they can see that, they can feel that. We deal with a similar thing of trying to tell people, hey, it pays to be a better communicator and not like, hey, verbal and nonverbal, like deeper than that and understanding power literacy, also not tangible. Inherently, people think they tend to be better at these things, storytelling, communication, than they really are, right? Some Dunning-Kruger. That said, how do you sell or encourage them to maybe kind of think again and say, you're not really as good as you think you are. This is a skill you need to invest in. So what I would say, you're not going to be surprised. I, first, I understand how challenging it, like we really struggled at the beginning when I was like, I think I want, I think the thing I'm going to do now is be a storytelling keynote. It was so hard. Um, and really it wasn't until like we had a few people take a chance on the message and then, and then you know, people were in that audience that then hired me. And so the, the message was able to expand and the marketplace kind of caught up to it. Let's just say. Yeah. Um, but the most effective way to do it is with stories. So if you can tell a story about a time when this skill made a difference for someone now, here's where the nuances are extremely important. When you start that story, you can't start it. And, and you mentioned, we didn't go into the framework, but the story has a normal explosion, new normal. You can't start it in the middle and be like, communication skills can make a huge difference in people's lives. Susan can now do this, 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 and this. We don't care about Susan. Right. We don't know anything about her, right? So especially when you're selling, the best thing you can do is use one of the stories that you already have. They need to be truthful stories, of course. Um, but in the normal, tell the story such that, like paint the picture of that character who thought they already had this figured out, who thought that they were really good at it, and then who found themselves in a communication conundrum and weren't able to get out of it until they and then explosion until they found you, new normal, now what they're capable of. But the really cool thing you can do there in the normal, anytime you're trying to sell the invisible, is tell them a story where they're nodding along, like, yeah, yeah, yes. Oh my gosh, that sounds, oh, I'm so like, I'm really good at, these are all the things that I'm good. Yes, yes, I am so this person. And then in the explosion, reveal that that person was actually off, that that person was actually not right. So they're saying, yes, they're saying, yes, they're saying, yes. Now it can't be so abrupt that then they're mad at you. Sure. But I would imagine you, you, you have these stories that you could tell. That's where the details come in. You can include the details of their, of their career, you know, their accountants. And they're like, what does it even matter? You can, you can talk about the pens that they use. If there's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, 
That's what I would suggest. With with Warby Parker, you talk about the guy on the plane who forgot his glasses, right? Example from your book. Um, I think about, you you did this for me when I had to get clearer about my story when we pitch it to a corporate uh, exec of, you know, there was a teenager who felt lost, angry, and confused. And a lot of his employees felt that during change. And so we were able to tie my story into change and the new normal and the explosion and what have you. So for what it's worth, your work has and continues to do that for me and my organization. And I couldn't be more thankful. Oh, that is, that is the, that is it. That's all I can ask for. Well, before we let you go, let's let everybody know about the pre-order, where they can follow you, where they can support you. All of this will be in the show notes peppered throughout, but go ahead, let us know how we can support you and where we can go to do so. Yeah, well, of course, Stories That Stick is out. It's going strong. You can find that anywhere that books are sold. You can find me on social media, um, at Kendra Hall on Instagram is usually where I am the most, though I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, And then in terms of pre-ordering the new book, the book is called Choose Your Story, Change Your Life, Silence your oh oh the subtitle silence your inner critic and rewrite your life from the inside out something like that Very good. um that is available for pre-order i believe it'll be on barnes and noble and amazon for sure if you want i'll have some bonuses that are released with that like i'll send you a signed like a book plate here i have it already. that'd be great thank you so here let's see uh if you Choose your story, change your life.com, enter your info. I'll mail you a, a signature so you can have a signed copy. Well, we will get that and we appreciate that. And we'll make sure to share that with everybody. Well, I got to get you off so you can get to your next appointment. Thank you again for everything. We appreciate your grace and the tactical nature of everything you shared. Guys, Brett Bartholomew, Kendra Hall, Art of Coaching Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.